What is up, you beautiful human? Hello and welcome back to the Raw, Real and Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Beck Antonucci. I have literally attempted to record this introduction for this incredible guest episode with Stefanos Zavandos that many times. And every single time that I've gone to record it, it's been like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, almost 20 minutes that the introduction alone has been a mini podcast. And I know that, you know, I haven't recorded a solo episode since getting on my one-way flight to Bali and ending a relationship that I really loved. And that's for so many reasons, but mostly because there have been so many emotions that I have been navigating that on any given day, the podcast episode could have been so different. And I really desired to tend to my own internal world and feel more integrated and grounded in my decision before I released what it is that I had to say about everything that's unfolding for me. But through attempting to record this introduction that many times and that introduction being that long, it's really shown me that I am now ready and I have a lot to share and a lot to say. So get ready for next week where I will release that solo episode. But for now, I know that you will also know that I have just ended a relationship with a person that I love so much and have really had to accept that the two of us are in very different stages of life and our life paths are just simply not truly aligning right now. And if one of us lives on the other's timeline at this right now moment, it means that we self-abandon. And big, 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 courageous, brave decisions have had to be made and it's felt really hurtful and really painful. And letting go of someone that I love so much who is essentially my best, best, best friend in the entire world has felt really confronting and really hard. And it has also left me, you know, with this broken, cracked open heart, it's really left me in a very receptive state and a really reflective space where I have been questioning where I have not shown up powerfully to my relationship and past relationships. It's really had me questioning where my little girl makes choices in the face of partnership, where my little girl makes sure that she is feeling protected and safe in the face of relationship. But in the face of that, my woman is left feeling denied and unmet and unheard and unseen. And I know that up until now, there's been a big part of me that has projected that onto my past partners. And now seeing the theme that has occurred over all the years, (laughs) all the complaints around intimacy and my desires not being met and realizing this isn't a new complaint, Rebecca, this is a frequent complaint that you've always had. And it's now it's showing up in the face of a different man. Do we want to continue to repeat this cycle? Are we going to really look internally at the self? And so this is what is being ignited within me. I desire to heal this within myself so that I can teach myself, I can learn how to be a powerful partner, first and foremost for myself, how I can be powerful in relationship to me and then be powerful in the face of relationship. And then I have this deep desire to bring you along for that journey so that you can learn too. Because I feel that we are calling in these men that we say that we most desire. We desire the, I mean, I don't, definitely don't want the white picket fence, but you know, uh, but Disney has taught us that the relationship's going to come and it's going to fulfill us and we're going to feel all of these things once he arrives and then he arrives and shit hits the fucking fan. And what I desire is for us to learn a new way of being so that when he arrives, we know how to be powerful in the face of that so we can really receive what we're calling in. I feel like we block our blessings not tending to ourselves in our internal world and our internal wounding with the masculine. And then when relationship hits, we deflect, we project, we fight what is here. We don't know how to be powerful women in the face of relationship. And that's what I'm here to learn so that I then can teach that to you too. This episode with Stefanos Safandos dives into all the different intricacies of how we can really show up powerfully as women in the face of relationship. 
He is a wealth of knowledge. He is one of the most inspiring coaches and mentors that I've ever been able to learn and receive from. I was in the Elementum Coaching Institute for nine months last year doing his specific Master Coach certification. And every call that Stephanos ran, I made sure that I watched the replay of every single one because he is absolutely a wealth of wisdom. His coaching is so inspiring to me. I learned so much. I love how he holds himself. I love his tonality. I love his grace. I love his softness, his groundedness, his power, his potency. He, to me, is just such an inspiring leader. And I know that you're going to receive so much out of today. If you love it, please screenshot it, share it to your story, tag me and Steph so that we can both connect with you. This is one hell of an episode. Strap yourself in, fam. Let's fucking go. I am sitting with the most incredible and beautiful, very intelligent man who I had the privilege of learning from last year for nine months. Stephanos Sifandos, welcome to Raw, Real and Vulnerable. We had the privilege of having you in our container. Let me just get those facts straight, but thank you very much for the introduction. Uh, I became a Steph Groofy where I was watching all your pods and just like taking down notes on how you coach. I was like, this is so inspiring to me, waking up at 4 a.m. in the morning to watch you on other calls. Like, he is just amazing. You're, you're so amazing for me to witness and learn from your style, how you style flakes, how grounded you are, how you hold women, how you hold men. It really is truly actually very inspiring to me. Oh, thank you, Beck. I appreciate that. And then, you know, just to compliment you as well, you know, your your dedication and commitment was very, very clear because I know the time zones weren't the best for certain areas of Australia, but you were you were committed. You were, yeah, you're great. I love it. Thank you, Steph. So for anyone in my world who doesn't know who Stephanos is, can you please share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure, sure. I, I, must, I must say I struggle with this question in terms of what my elevator pitch is, but I'm definitely not good at it, although I teach this stuff sometimes. <laughs> I'm not drinking my own Kool-Aid, that's for sure, but I'm a relationship coach per se. But when I speak about relationships, I go beyond just the, oh, it's a relationship to a partner or to your wife or to your husband or to romance. It's really our relationship to the things that matter most to us. And I have a fascination with how we relate, right? So how we relate to our past, to our trauma to the great things in our lives, to our partners, to shame, to sexuality, to joy, to all the things that are important to us, our purpose, the things that drive us, our mission or vision, for lack of a better term. And of course, you know, relationships and intimacy and how we grow through that. And so I'm just really fascinated and interested in how do we evolve consistently the relationship to the things that matter most to us. I love that so much. And my audience is a predominantly female-based audience who is really desiring to really cultivate that beautiful relationship with herself and also with a man. And what I've really recognized is that there's a lot of pain there that's really harboring them and blocking them from being able to receive what it is that they most want. So can we start there and dive in and see what kind of conversation comes out? Yeah, it's interesting. So in June, I run an experience here in Austin and it's live streamed as well every month, Breathwork for the Feminine. And in June, I open up a couple of times a year to co-ed. So it's men and women together in the same container, virtual and in person. And, you know, one of the biggest issues that I'm seeing in work that I've been doing in the world the last few years, particularly with my wife, Christine, as well, we have a number of different programs that we teach specifically that work with women is this deep mistrust of men. And where that stems from is a couple of different places. It's the overall collective masculine. And by the way, I want to preface something. This isn't blaming men or blaming the masculine or that masculinity is toxic. It's not that at all. And so it's this this collective masculine wound or this sense of oppression. Maybe it's the patriarchy. Maybe it's that 
these women or certain women have been exposed to violence or abuse by men and it makes it very, very difficult to trust other men because they haven't been able to recover from that. And in not being able to recover from that and really address that in a deeper way, what's happened is that they develop in their nervous system this hypervigilance and this general mistrust of all men because one man is committed to another man at some level. And therefore, if I get close, I'm going to be hurt again. And so distance is created. Stories are created. And then very valid. Some of these stories are very, very valid. Um, some of the stories are not valid because there's a projection that happens there and it's to keep us safe. We all do this as human beings. But then what happens is that that, that triggers a man's insecurity that triggers his pain and his wounds and his trauma of rejection and abandonment and humiliation that so many men very quietly experience, very secretly experience because as men we're not shown in culture and we're not encouraged in culture and society, generally speaking of course, to be front-facing and forward with what our internal experiences or our feelings, emotions, etc. right? And so this divide just keeps occurring and occurring and occurring and we create more distance. And if you can't trust someone, you can't let them in, you can't allow them to be close, you cannot allow yourself to receive. So the natural act of giving by the masculine gets diminished and then the natural act of receiving by the feminine becomes diminished and we start to blame. And we don't know why we're blaming and we don't know why we're shaming others, but it's a protective strategy, again, to keep distance because if there's distance, more than likely I'm going to be safe. And it's the polarizing opposite of what we actually most desire. Because so many women come into my world, they want closeness, they want intimacy, they want their monogamous, knitted, aligned partner, they want to build this wife to them and then he comes into their world and all of her stuff flies with her, so she ends up in blame and rejection and conflict and fighting, and the relationship completes with her, but comes to that. So how do we start to remedy that? Is it women working internally on ourselves that we're doing it in the face of partnership? How can we start to bridge that gap to create a healthier, more meaningful relationship? Yeah, I think you're very accurate with what you're sharing. I think it's both. I think it's working on our individual selves and when working with the repressed, suppressed wounds that we have or the patterns of behavior and being and the belief systems and the stories that have shaped who we are and how we give and receive love and how we lean into challenge and difficulty and the proclivities and the values that we've developed over the years. Like Working on that and really getting clear on what's important to us around that. And then, yes, when we're ready, because we're sometimes not ready, we have to hit a or do a certain amount of inner work by ourselves or as individuals before we can do that in intimate relating because it can sometimes be either too much or take away from our own personal healing journey or distract us from actually healing and we use it as a convenient excuse to not work on our internal selves and we focus on the external, the relationship. So it's a combination of both. But how we know when the time is right, it's a little different for each individual. But ultimately, if you're not repeating the same patterns in relationship over and over again, or at least there's less of an intensity, you know that you're on the right track, right? In terms of you've achieved or you've created a baseline of healing for yourself or awareness that can lend you to be in a relationship and work on yourself with the relationship. But ultimately, to answer your question, it is coming together. It's doing the individual work then doing the work with people that are familiar. So women doing women's work, men doing men's work, and then coming together and doing co-ed work and doing it together. But there needs to be a certain level of maturity and adeptness and, and holding that we can hold as men and as women for the other person's pain and trauma and not take that on and make it ourselves. Because if we make it about ourselves and make it 
make ourselves wrong because if we're too sensitive, and I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but if we're, too, if we're not ready to receive the bigness that can come from a person's personal experience and story, it's an indication that we have more inner work to do ourselves. And that's fine. It's not a criticism, but it's a great indication of where we're at. And so we can hold other people's stuff while simultaneously honoring ourselves. That's a good indication that we're ready to do work with other people. You think women are aware that they have repressed and suppressed wounding? Because I hear a lot of generalizing, like I'll sit in a group of women, I'm in Bali right now, and I'll just hear a comment flying around like, all men are fill in the blank. And it kind of like kills my soul when I hear it. And then women will turn around and say like, it's not me, it's them, it's the man that's showing up, it's the men that I'm going non-dates with, all men fill in the blank. We think we're aware. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. At the beginning stages of our growth journey, we're less aware. As we grow, we become more aware naturally. And maybe I'm stating something obvious, maybe I'm not. But the ask you question is is yes and no, essentially, right? I want to give you an indication. You've just had a breakup. You have every reason, every excuse to start dishonoring men or to start blaming men, but you're not. So that shows me that you're in a mature place with your relationship to the masculine, to men. You're in a more healed place, even though it's pretty fresh and pretty raw for you that you just had this breakup, that parts of you definitely didn't want to break up. Parts of you obviously didn't. Parts of you definitely didn't want to. And it's very easy for you to blame him and make it all about him, but you're not. Even before we got on the call, didn't make it about him. You were very clear with what you made it about. We're on different life's journeys. We both wanted to make it work. That was the desire. You didn't badmouth him, and you probably could, and I'm sure he has faults, but you didn't. So I point that out because... One, honoring you, and two, it's a tangible example of where you're at in your growth journey and women can see, oh, okay, that's what it maybe looks like in certain parts. Jake and I have definitely had conflict together, but we've made a commitment to not speak badly about each other at all. I don't have bad things to say about him and vice versa, not to do that with our friends, with other people. Like Obviously, there's frustrations, but they're shared with each other rather than with other people. However, I went out Saturday night and all of these men are hitting on me and one hit on me. I start breaking down, crying to him. And he's like, why are you crying? And girl's like, my boyfriend was beautiful. And I wasn't getting hit on by all of these sleazy men. And I caught it because all I could see, my lens view in that moment was just sleazy men everywhere. I was like, I want my boyfriend. And I was like, that is now going to be my generalization. And I can see it as I'm walking around Bali as men hit on me. I'm like, don't start creating stories about men right now. And I can see myself trying to do it. So I'm just going to own that right there. I see you laughing at me. Hello, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you and I know Bali very well I used to live there I know the large culture of Bali or the, some of the subcultures there so you're not wrong in saying a subgroup of people that it attracts are people that are very much at the beginning of their healing journey and so that comes with certain characteristics and expressions I would love because a lot of women are listening right now if they have caught themselves making big generalized statements about men that probably aren't serving their beliefs about men and their desire for a relationship with men what would you say to that woman? What can she start to do about that? Yeah. Surround yourself and look for examples of men that are healthy. You know, there's a beautiful exercise that we have in one of our programs. I'll give you a quick version of it. And it's, you know, making the men in your life your heroes. And I don't mean that in a subservient way. Men are better than you. Look up to them and worship them. No, no, no. But can you rewrite the story of certain men? Are there quote unquote good men out there? Are there men that really that, that carry characteristics and expressions and ways of being that you actually value? And look for them and make a list of those men and make a list of their characteristics and really honor their personhood. So you can start to find examples of men 
that aren't the examples that you have known to be true for you in your life. And how do we do that, Seth, and not then swing and make him our hero in terms of the prince? Yeah, I was raised on the Disney princesses. My favourite movies are rom-coms. They always fall in love. The man always comes and saves the day. And I really know how much this has had an impression on me that, like, Jake's arrived and where's my happily ever after? And, you know, he's a fighter and he's fit and he's popular and he's a leader in society. How does my little girl not then make him my fixer or my happy ending? Yeah, well, you stop choosing your partner from your little girl. You stop choosing from previous versions of yourself. And the way that you do that is you do deeper healing with those versions of yourself. You give them what they did not receive growing up that they're now searching for as adults. That's one of the biggest things that you can do for improving and evolving your picker when it comes to intimate partnership and not pedestalizing other people. And how much of a role in partnership should that man look after his woman's little girl? Is that any of his responsibility in the face of partnership or is that going to create that dissonance? Uh, absolutely, it's, it's his responsibility as it is your responsibility as well. It's our responsibility to look after ourselves and that's why relationship is challenging because it's our responsibility to look after ourselves and our own needs and all versions of ourselves that reside within us and it's our responsibility or duty or honour as well to look after the versions of our partner that come through, the little girl that's hurt or the teenager that is struggling right now and that version that is coming through, you know, maybe as an adult, my partner is having difficulty with one of her friends and it reminds her of when she was a teenager and it's bringing up a lot of teenage stuff. Absolutely, I can be there for her and support her and see her little girl and ask her questions and get curious and ask her what she needs and really support her from that place. That's how we evolve in relationship. But it's not about obligation and it's not about sacrificing one's needs, minimizing one's needs in order to maximize the other. That's not healthy. That's coming from insecurity. That's the people-pleasing pattern that is a low self-worth pattern. It's not about that. We're not talking about moving in extremes. We're talking about healthy dynamics and relationship. That was somewhere I really wanted to go with you. I was reading through all of your posts and I know that you spoke about healthy desire and then desire coming from wounding. Can you speak a little into that? Yeah, yeah. So there's desire that comes from a grounded place where we know ourselves and we're not coming from a place of compensation. And then there's desire that comes from ego. We think if we get that, we believe if we get this external thing, whether it's the girl or the guy, or we have them behave a particular way or treating us a particular way, we're going to feel better about ourselves. That's not a healthy desire. And another thing that adds to unhealthy desire is holding multiple desires at the same time, like desperation for desire. Like, I need this, I need that, I need this thing, I need this house, I need that watch, I need that car, I need that person to like me, I need to be part of this business, I need to be part of this crowd. And we can't manage our desires. It's too much and it's too overwhelming. So like living on the Vegas Strip 24-7, no, and just having infinite money to spend. It's too much stimulus for us. So holding one or two clear desires is healthy. And then where the come from is, that determines how we relate to ourselves and to the thing that we're desiring in that moment. And then in the face of partnership, I know you've spoken a lot about sex and how that can come from wounding as well. And my common thing is relationships and me desiring more intimacy. Therefore, I attract in a whole community of women who are desiring committed aligned partnership and a lot of depth and intimacy. How can we be sure that we're not projecting our wounds onto our partner and that desire for intimacy coming from wounding versus healthy desire? Yeah, it's a question. So one of the cycles that are common that we see is the 
fight-fuck complex or fight-fuck dynamic where in order to have this explosive dynamic, you would perceive to be very connected sex or sexual intimacy and we have to fight and argue, we have to be in conflict, we have to be in separation in order to really, really come together. And if you're seeing that, that's an indication of you know, projected sexual needs and desires, but also unhealthy sexual dynamics. The other is when we base our worthiness on the volume and the quality, not only of the sex we're having, but how that person desires us. Because the reality is that as we move into a longer term relationship, you know, in the beginning of a relationship, whether it's a formal relationship, meaning that you've both identified that you're in partnership and you're moving into love and intimacy together. When we're in the honeymoon phase or the limerence phase of relating, things are very different. That when we move out of that phase and we move into longer-term relationships, the reality is that our desire cycles change. They ebb and flow, not only physiologically, but psychologically and emotionally as well. There are other priorities, equal priorities sometimes, that come into our existence, such as everyday logistics, such as spending more time together, integrating each other's families, potentially having children, investing together, doing worldly things together. And so things start to shift and change. And so naturally, our desires for each other and for even sex shifts and changes as well. It doesn't always mean that we're not attracted to that person. Sometimes it does though. And if that's the case, we have to be honest in our communication and work with that cycle. Sometimes they're very temporary cycles because they ebb and flow. Sometimes they're more permanent cycles. But we don't know that unless we communicate today and we're willing to do our inner work. So at the core of it is that awareness building practice of I'm committed and willing to do my inner work to continue to grow in the relationship and for myself. And when you're in that desire cycle, I love this conversation so much. Is it possible to create desire with few people who are currently feeling like there's none between them? It is. It very much is. And, And both people have to be willing And now willingness is just the first step, right? It may not happen, but if both people are willing, even if it's uncomfortable, even if they're getting met to their edges, they're getting met at their edges, I should say. For example, you know, like a fear of intimacy has kicked in or a fear of abandonment has kicked in and they can't get close, but they're they're doing their best to get close and they have support, external support as well, and they're willing. It's possible, yeah. Where would be the first place that you would encourage that couple of the self? In terms of with each other, right, with each other, it's, we want to be proactive and preemptive. This is really good if it's led by the masculine, but also in the context of intimate relating by the feminine as well. It's a joint tether, but we want to be proactive with the relationship. You know, both people have a value around growth. So what that might look like is, you know, monthly check-ins. Every month you check in, you ask each other a specific set of questions, and it can be super simple. It can be super quantifiable, like rate our emotional connection from one to 10 this month rate our sexual intimacy from one to 10 this month and anything below whatever number you choose you know you talk about it you go a little deeper into anything that's like a nine or a ten okay wow what made that a nine or a ten let's learn more about each other you know spending time with each other you know at least an hour a week talking about each other's lives and talking about what you're up to what you're doing whether you live together or not spending intimate time together quality time together whether it's sexual intimacy or not having fun and play together and doing these things together is important living life together and also having your separate lives is important. Why you want to be proactive is because you're going to notice very quickly if you're losing connection and you're going to be able to address it. And you have to then be willing to be communicative about that. Communication tools, as you know, you know, the Margot Dialogue is a great tool. NVC, Nonviolent Communication, is another great communication tool. They're very strong tools for listening and hearing and having others feel heard 
which is very important when it comes to wounds or pain relationship. So the learning those tools are a good starting point. The thing that people go wrong is one, like a conversation around desire. They make it all about the bedroom, but everything that creates that incredible experience in the bedroom is actually created predominantly outside of it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, so trust is built outside of the bedroom, right in and out of the bedroom, of course. So we use the bedroom as a metaphor analogy for sex, but it is built outside of that. It's all the the micro interactions that we have, it's the the consistency, the way that we forgive each other, the way that we take ownership of our stuff, the way that we serve each other and give and receive love, how open we are, all of that, you know, how much we value each other and how, how much we show and demonstrate by deed, meaning thought, meaning word, all of that lends itself to deep and sexual connection. When that desire cycle occurs, how does the woman not make that mean something really awful? I can imagine how hurtful that feels when you're the person you love is like, I'm just not in a place where I desire you right now. How do we not take that story firstly and just be like, Ryle, if you don't desire me, I'm done? Great challenge. I mean, it's not easy, right? I'm going to answer this in a couple of ways, but one of the ways I'm going to respond to it is this. I'll give you a real example, right? So a few years ago, Christine came to me with a request. And at that time, I couldn't understand her request. I took it personally. I made it mean that it was my fault. I made it mean that she didn't care for me. She didn't love me. I was going through a very difficult time of my life at that point. I was reorientating my identity. I was very sensitive to the world. So I was very sensitive to criticism or threat or change. I would interpret it as threat and criticism, right? And so I took that very personally. Now, what was happening there at some level, and she came to me very lovingly, very softly, very vulnerably, made the request, was undemanding, was very much in a beautiful energetic, I just lost my shit. Now, what was happening there was she was speaking a language of level 50 math, and I'm only on level two. My emotional maturity at that point for that thing was only on level two. I could maybe understand up to level five or six. I couldn't understand level 50 where she was. I'm not pedestalizing there. I'm just saying like the level of maturity she had in that moment, she could see beyond all the things. I couldn't. And so when in a relationship, if your maturity... And this is a very broad brushstrokes term now that I'm using this term maturity. Your spiritual evolution, your understanding, your cognition, your awareness around yourself and your relationship and your wounds and how everything is playing out and your ability to remain regulated in your nervous system. If you are operating at a very high level, you won't take it personally. But explaining that to someone that isn't there, they're not going to get that and they're just going to react. They're not going to respond, they're going to react. Now, if both people are operating at a higher level of connection, instead of taking it personally, they still may be hurt, absolutely, but they're not going to project. They're not going to blame and shame. They're going to own their feelings. They're going to ask questions. They're going to seek beyond what's actually going on. They're going to ask that person to be even more honest because they're going to be so regulated. That person can also be regulated and continue to be honest and share vulnerably. That just takes time to get to that place. It just takes time. And sometimes we'll get there in certain areas, for certain areas of life and certain subject matter, and other times we won't. So if a woman thinks this right now and she's like, well, I'm a level five step and I'm seeing this guy, he's gorgeous, and it will kicked off, it was hot and steamy for the first three months, and then it's just dropped off and he's like, I'm stressed and I'm not into it like you are, don't make it mean anything about you. And he's like, but I am making it mean just so much about me, I'm ready to like high and dry this. What does he do? So I can't tell anyone what to do, but what I can say is that if your needs aren't being met and you don't trust that your needs can be met and that person isn't communicating 
in the way that you need them to, then maybe the relationship isn't for you. It's less about taking it personally or not. And of course, if you are taking it personally, like dealing with that hurt, like not suppressing it and repressing it and hiding from it. But if your needs aren't being met and the dynamic of relationship that you're in isn't meeting what your standard of relationship is, then you've got to have a conversation about that with that person and with yourself. Powerful. And something really beautiful you said about your share with Christine is he came to you vulnerably. She came to you without demand. How can we start making our requests that they're not coming from demand or projection or expectation so that man really does want to go there with us? Because I can imagine if someone wants to demand or expect something of me, the last thing I want to do is give them what they want. So how can we start to come from that beautiful energy of request so that we can be in receivership versus like, I need you to do this for me and then I'm going to show up for you in this way? How can we get out of that cycle? We've got to trust ourselves and trust our partners that they can hold our requests and they're willing to and they want to, they welcome our requests. And then ultimately just circling back to doing our inner work and building our own confidence and inner confidence and self-worth up so that we can make those requests and know that if those requests aren't met, whether it is or isn't a reflection on us, we have information that we can then act on that's in our highest interest as opposed to being lost in the wound that's being perpetuated and amplified by unresolved stuff from the past. It's really clearing the clutter of our past so we can be a clearer vessel in communication and in intimacy. Beautiful. What is it like being in relationship now for you compared to what it was like 10 years ago? So, man, I was so less aware of myself 10 years ago. I was so unwilling to be in the relationship. I mean, I was, but I wasn't. Compared to now, I was very much dishonest in relationship with myself and with my partners. I'm not that now. If there's something that is on my heart, I want to speak to it. And I'll pick and choose my timing, of course. I want to be respectful of my person stuff and what they're moving through in the world. I guess I take things less personally. I'm a lot freer. So for example, if Christine came to me and said, oh, I want a divorce, I will be hurt. But I know myself now how I would meet that would be with curiosity, would be with, okay, let's move through this. Let's talk about this. I'm not going to just go, oh, I'm going to accept it. Okay, yeah, let's divorce. I'm going to say, well, I'm not going to panic. Whereas before I would panic a lot and I would react and I'd be angry because that's a form of control for me, for most men, for most people, well, for men particularly. So we're very much out of control, you know, 10 years ago. Now I feel more not in control now in, in this contrived artificial way just more grounded in my own self. Like I'm more confident in who I am, the value that I bring to the world. I was constantly trying to compensate because I felt so inadequate. Wasn't making enough money, didn't have the status, wasn't where I wanted to be, wasn't happy with myself, was doing so many things in the shadow that I had so much guilt and shame. I don't have that now. I don't behave in that way. So of course I have things that in mind that I keep to myself, but I'm not dishonorable in relationship now. If I wanted to go be with another woman, I would talk to Christine about it. I would say, hey, I'm having these urges. I'm having this big conversation we're going to have. Let's talk about it. It was before I would just, wouldn't even be a consideration. I will just go fuck another woman. I would just go do whatever I wanted to do. I'm very inconsiderate, very much in my pain body, very much still living from old trauma. I'm not doing that anymore. So that's, I guess, a comparison of where I was and where I am now. So beautiful. So inspiring for women to hear that, especially if we have any beliefs around men don't change, men are this, men are that, the... The generalizations that I speak about that I hear quite frequently. Not all women are into the work that I'm in that get to see men behind the scenes like I get to see. 
I see so many beautiful men doing the work because they really desire to love themselves and to be able to love a woman as well. And to me, that's incredibly inspiring. I'll also say, Echo, this is a really important part of it too. When a man is met, and I'm speaking for myself here as well, but also relating to the general consensus, when a man is met with non-judgment and compassion, it makes it a lot easier for him to be in his truth. Now, you shouldn't depend on that, and no one should depend on that, but shit, it makes it a lot easier. So... Christine, when she meets me, very often with non-judgment and compassion, makes it a lot easier for me to speak my truth and be in that truth and share it with her so she can get insight into who I am. Whereas the opposite would put you straight into shutdown? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't go back to my old ways per se because I don't want to be that person anymore. Right? That's a personal choice. But what it would do is shut me down yeah get, I'd get angry and, and we would fight and bicker and it would be conversations around separation or conversations around big change or conversations around how do we do things differently it would be more difficult for me to share vulnerably I still would but it would be more difficult Beautiful. and how has your journey to fatherhood impacted your relationship with yourself oh that's a very big question in every possible way that little baby girl is my light of lights. I love her so much. I physically feel oxytocin surging through my body at times when I'm hugging her and playing with her and she's laughing. And yeah, it's opened up my heart so deeply. I can't put words to it. I just can't. Completely shifted my orientation of how I see myself and how I see the world. And I mean, just the best things that happened to me. I don't know how I really have words. I'm trying. It's not that easy. I love that. What would you love her beliefs about men to be as she grows up? That's a great question too. You know, that, that men are reliable, that they are safe, that they really do care. When they, they can be there for her and they can be there for themselves and they can be there for humanity and the earth. And that, you know, ultimately she can be safe in the presence of men. Of course, there are people out there that are dangerous. I've gotten very aware of that. Men and women. People that can be dangerous. That's a fact. I don't want people to think there's a naivety around, oh, all people are safe. No, some people are not. They're very unhealthy and very unsafe. But... To paint everyone with the same brush is not what I want for my daughter. I want her to be discerning on an individual basis. And then for that to happen, she needs to have a very safe, consistent upbringing as well. And that's what I intend to do. Mm, so powerful. I love seeing your Instagram stories. Your face is the most lit up whenever you're with her. And when you see a dad and his daughter, I'm like, oh my God, my heart right now is just exploding. So beautiful. She looks like she's amazing. I have loved spending this morning with you. And I always ask every guest one question to finish. I would love to know what it means uniquely to you to be raw, real, and vulnerable in your own life. Yeah, it's just to do the things that and say the things and share the things that are really uncomfortable, you know, the things that I'm hiding from the world that I know if I didn't hide from the world, I would stop hiding from myself and I would experience a level of freedom and expansion that would it would lend itself to that to beginning stages. So that's how I would define that. Beautiful. Death Nostafandos, I love spending this morning with you. Thank you so much for your time. If my audience would love to get into your world, where do they find you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, add Stephanos Afandos on social media or stephanosafandos.com. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dev. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you're desiring more from me right now, firstly, I love your eagerness. And secondly, let's make it happen. Check out the link in my show notes where you can receive more information on my books, breakthroughs, online webinars, all upcoming courses and programs, and how you can get started on your journey within my world today. I can't wait to be back in your ears next week. And trust me, you won't want to miss this episode.